Welcome back to Think Deeper, presented by Focus Press. I'm Jack Wilkie, joined once again by Will Harib and Joe Wilkie. We are, we got a good episode to get into this time. This is one uh, that actually comes from a Focus Plus subscriber. We want to uh, give a thanks to Ty. In fact, not just a Focus Plus subscriber, a Focus Press podcast host. He's a very, very close friend of the show. Indeed, friend That's of the right. show, Titus Anderson, uh, a co-host on Who Let the Dogma Out. Uh, posted this a while back when we solicited uh, comments and he suggested it and we all thought yeah we got to do that that's that's good so we'll get to that in just a minute i uh, just want to uh just put it out there we've been talking about focus plus for months things at focus press uh like like most organizations right now things are a little tight and i hate asking for donations and one of the things i like to do more than anything is say here's what we'll give you in response for a donation and so focus plus is ten dollars a month it goes up to 15 if you want the second tier and if you view that as a donation, but what you get in return is the video Think Deeper plus the Think Deeper Deep End uh, second podcast every week. You get Scriptural Focus, which is my Bible question and answer show. You get uh, exclusive article, exclusive sermon every week. And then we just understudied. added understudied the uh, Bible class that Joe and I are teaching through Revelation. We'll eventually go through Song of Solomon, Minor Prophets, parts of the Bible that don't get a lot of coverage. And so... Um, Five days a week, new resources going up on Focus Plus. That is the best way to support us because I know that's usually the first thing we run into is I don't I don't have a lot of money. Well, ten dollars a month, you know. Hey, if you cancel Disney Plus because of us, take that money and put there it over to Focus Plus. There you go. I mean, it's it's the same as really any other streaming service, and you're getting new Christian content five days a week. Uh, we're we're really uh, proud of the work we're doing at Focus Plus, and we we hope you'll uh, check that out. It's FocusPress.org/slash/plus. PLUS. Um, take a look at that. And if there's nothing else, let's go ahead and get into the show. Will, you want to introduce where we're going with this one? Yeah, sure. So we're calling it the worship autopsy. Uh, I think that was actually that phrase was actually coined by Titus again when he submitted the question for this. And really what we're going to take a look at is the worship assembly uh, in the church, the the different elements of, of worship, kind of the things that have, that have come to be accepted, things that have come to be accepted as the quote unquote five acts of worship. And we're just, we just want to examine all the elements of worship. And, and the goal with this episode is really to examine each of them, not to change up doctrine, not to challenge, you know, long held what we believe the Bible says, but simply to ask, you know, is the way we're doing things right now, maximizing the effectiveness. And, and if anybody might be listening to, as we get this episode started, if anybody might be listening to, the, to that kind of bristling, like, hold up, why, why are we trying to change stuff? The question we want to start with, and it's a pretty simple one, and this is one you're going to have to ask yourself. Do you believe that that your worship, you know, because obviously you listening, you're going to have to put it in the perspective of your congregation. Do we believe that our worship can be improved and enhanced? Again, we're not looking to, to change doctrine. We're not looking to bring in worship bands and, you know, any of the things that we believe scripture does not authorize. However, of the things that we believe scripture does authorize, what can be improved upon? How can we enhance it? How can we, once again, I, I like the phrase, maximize the effectiveness of our worship. Maybe there are some things that that we in the Church of Christ do, um, and I'll preview some of the things like the invitation. Um, again, that would not maybe necessarily be considered a, five, a, a one of the five acts of worship, but something we've done for generations now. Do we need to take a look at that? We're going to save that one towards the end, but we're going to examine... Um, all of the different elements, once again, the quote-unquote five acts of worship. We're going to talk about the song service. We're going to talk about scripture reading, uh, the sermon. We're going to talk about the Lord's Supper contribution, and then the post-sermon invitation. 
and with all of these, we're going to take a look at them. We're going to discuss, you know, what's the biblical backing for them and maybe what are some ways that the three of us, not that we're any kind of experts or anything like that, but Hey, what do, what do we think on how can we, how we can improve, um, in each one of these areas? I would encourage everybody. We did an episode last year, um, that uh, I think was one of our better episodes. It was a very fun episode to record about what are what are three church uh, changes to the church that we would make. Again, not not biblically doctrinally speaking, but just maybe improvements in various areas. And we talked about worship in one of those areas. We talked about involvement. And we talked about shepherding. That that was a really good one as well. If you're looking for more uh, kind of along these lines, but guys, let's go ahead and get into because we're going to isolate it to just worship, obviously, for this episode and. Where I want to start is, well, and you guys, yeah, go ahead. Before we start, I would just want to say I, I'm praying that we all have a ready recollection of what we studied. <laughs> and then at the end, somebody remember to say guide, garden, direct guide, us garden, direct out of us. here. That's, That's right. right. So we, That's right. If we're going to do this us properly. back at the next appointed time. The next appointed that. time. Oh, nice. Which will be nice. next Monday at 2.30. That's right. Or, or the deep end <laughs> on right. Friday on Focus Plus. That's there you right. go. That's right. So we, we and, have to start with ready recollection. That's right. And I... I forgot to mention, happy birthday to our very own Jack Wilkie. Yes, that's believe. right. Well, thank we you. That's right. Yes, that's happy birthday. 47th birthday to Jack. Hope <laughs> <you're>, uh, <laughs> it does feel like that. It does sometimes. Uh, I'm just kidding. He's not 47, I don't think. Uh, I'm that, not going to ask He doesn't look a day over over 45 well right. that's right that's, that's right what it that's is. right that's right no happy birthday to jack hope I, less and less i have a ready recollection because I'm, I'm just getting older <laughs> that's right that's right um anyway a little sidetrack there um but guys I, but i, I also think start... before yeah. we get in i i wanted to make that point hit it hard one more time i think there are some people that listen to our podcast that think that maybe we're heretics that think that you know we're pushing the envelope on things look when we're talking about this worship autopsy Please listen all the way through to the end. Um, you know, we're not for the, as you're about to find out, yes, spoiler alert, we're not going to bring in a bunch of instruments. I mean, that's what we're talking about in terms of maximizing the effectiveness. Just to dig into that for a second. Does anybody think that worship, when you come together on Sunday, that it is literally the best it can be at most churches around America? I, I'm going to say right. no. I'm, I'm going to say most people can look at their congregations and say, you know what? I didn't I we could do better come in this out area. of this. Exactly. I didn't come out of or, this giving my all. From a restorationist standpoint, do we really think they had, you know, a 10 minute announcement section after and then, all right, brother Peter is going to get up and, and then he's going to give the invitation and we're going <laughs> to, you know, we're going to have a ready recollection of what, <laughs> what Peter, you know, just I, I don't think we look exactly like what they did. And, and I think there's ways we can restore a little better. Right. So maximizing the effectiveness means are we giving God the proper glory, the best that we possibly can when you consider the idea of worship? And this is all I want to say before we jump into like the different parts. This is like prepping the troops for war. We are in a spiritual warfare that Monday through Saturday, we're fighting the spiritual war. Sunday is where we come to prep the troops. Imagine if you had Patton, somebody get up and he's prepping the troops and it's, all right, guys, you know, oh, happy day. Like, and, and we're just singing with zero heart and we're not paying attention. And we're thinking about how we're going to beat the Baptist black IP. And we're thinking about all these different things. Instead of coming together and maximizing the glorification to God and recognizing, man, this is a big deal. Worship is absolutely vital to the Christian life. And this is why you get a lot of people, I come to God on my own. No, you don't. This is so important to the average, or, or you know, to every Christian's life. Like not just the supercharged preacher coming together. Like every Christian absolutely needs to be there on Sunday. And what's going to give them and it sounds bad to use it, but like the biggest bang for the buck, so to speak. What's going to supercharge your walk with God? What's going to, to bring the most glory to God? What's going to uplift your brethren? So this is why when we're talking about the worship autopsy, I just wanted to say, 
Everything's on the table. We're talking about these things. How can we best glorify God and be who he wants us to be in our worship to him? We see it all the way through throughout the Old Testament. He wants the heart. We'll talk about that a lot, but he wants the heart. He doesn't just want us going through the motions. And I think a lot of Christians go through the motions on Sunday. We want to make sure that's not necessarily the case. So with that, sorry, Will, I didn't want to sidetrack. No, I was just, no, that's a great point. And and to that point, I would say we, we talk a lot about, well, and sometimes members just don't prioritize being there for even Sunday night worship or Wednesday night or, or whatever it is. And it's like, maybe if we were to use Joe's word, supercharging worship and really trying to look, look for every way that we can to maximize the way that we can truly glorify God. And, and not that it's about us, but really truly get the most out of it. That would give, you know, that would be tough to miss, you know, just like the fellowship. Uh, you know, we would hate to miss the fellowship. There's just a lot of Christians that, you know, they've got other things they'd rather be doing. Maybe this is is a symptom of the problem here. And so let's get into it once again. Before we start, we're going to start with a song service here in just a second. Let's talk about the five acts of worship thing, um, because the Church of Christ, that is a Church of Christ thing that we have always taught, that there are strict five acts of worship. I think that was um, popularized, I guess you might say. There was a pamphlet called, uh, written by James R. Cope, The One True Church. And obviously those five, um, as usually taught, would be singing, praying, um, reading scripture, um, some kind of evangelical lesson, the Lord's Supper, and contribution. And so I want to ask guys, where where do y'all fall on that? Because I, I think that's that's a good starting point as far as like teaching kids, okay, this is these are all the things that we do in worship. This is what worship is supposed to look like. But as usual, and I don't want to get crucified for this, but I think in the church, we can tip, we can get so boxed in to got to have the five acts of worship, got to have the five acts of worship to where, you know, the idea is that every single element must be present. Otherwise, the worship is not legitimate. I think about, again, spoiler, contribution. Is that technically an act of worship? The sermon, is that technically an act of worship? And we're going to get into all those, but like you read Acts 13, verse two, and they talk about, and that, that talks about the fact that the early church was fasting as a part of their worship. Well, is fasting an act of worship? Does there need to be, do there need to be six acts of worship? I guess my point is we tend to get very boxed in when we just, Oh, five acts of worship, five steps of salvation, five acts of worship, five steps of salvation. You know, not that I think most of those are incorrect, but like, what do you, what do you guys have to add to that? Again, just kind of the, the rote memorization that we do with those things that might kind of miss the point. It's weird. There's like the two, polar ends of the spectrum of the there's the five acts of worship and if you don't do all five it does not count as a worship service and then there's the all of life is worship people who appeal to romans 12 1 and 2 of anything's worship you know i can i can be you know worshiping when i'm in the bathroom like well hold on I, like on hey, the golf I, course, right? yeah on the golf course and and i think it's somewhere in the middle of like you said fasting that can be worship and well i didn't do all the the five acts we're talking about corporate worship in the gathering of the church but that doesn't mean it's not worship. If, if you have a Wednesday night singing, that's worship. When you get down down to the definition, which is that the proskuneo, that that kiss towards, I guess, is the etymology of that, of like bowing and doing homage to God and praising his name. And oh, well, we didn't we didn't give money this time, so it doesn't count that. I don't know. That comes from a, a way of reading. It comes from a hermeneutical approach that I don't really. It doesn't click with me the idea of well we go over here in first corinthians and this says worship and this one over here in ephesians this says worship and this one says worship so these are the five times that worship is mentioned in scripture so it's got to be those five like you said well, what about fasting because that's right there with it it's or there's six acts of worship and we're not worshiping if we didn't fast and i i, I don't know it, it's inconsistent and and you really think that if god wanted to establish that that 
every Sunday, the point, uh, you know, the five X is one, two, three, four, five. That should be listed somewhere, right? That rather than kind well, of this jigsaw puzzle of I found puzzle pieces all over the New Testament. Well, and what I was going to what I was trying to get at and didn't didn't say this part, Joe, before you jump in here, is that it it enhances this checklist mentality that we have in the church. That's, that's what I was really trying to get at. You know, like we just got to check the boxes. And once we check all the boxes, we are good to go. Doesn't matter if our heart's not in our singing. Doesn't matter if, you know, we're, we're barely paying attention when, when the when scripture's being read or, or when a sermon's being preached. As long as we've got our checkbox, you know, five acts of worship, check, 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 check. We're all good. We can go home. That's to me, sometimes the mentality that this, really just kind of dogma on this kind of pushes, but Joe, sorry to, I know you're about to jump in there. No, you're good. I, Jack said an interesting word. You hear this a lot, the idea of corporate worship. And I want to spend some time on that for a second, because this does hang up a lot of people. For instance, if we get together, we have um, a brief moment of I, a Devo, I guess you'd say on Wednesday nights and even on Sunday mornings before our Bible class, two songs, prayer, and then we get into Bible class and everybody goes off to their classes. Um, and then on Wednesdays, I think it's three songs and even a quick Devo and then the Bible class. Okay. So is the singing, the worship. And then as soon as we say the prayer, as soon as we dismiss the Bible class, now it's Bible class where this makes a difference. And we've talked about this before on the podcast is, but like women's roles, are women allowed to speak in Bible class? Are women allowed to speak in worship? Well, we know worship. We definitely say no to that. Are they allowed to speak in Bible class? I don't want to necessarily dig into that discussion right now, but the point that I'm trying to make is. You have the idea of like, what's the other? It's corporate worship. And there's a, there's a second term often used that Jack, can you remember what that is? There's a second that's, that's worship, but not corporate quote unquote. And so a lot of people get mixed up. So Jack, you're the one that used the word. I want you to give kind of a, we don't see corporate worship in scripture per se. Where do we get this idea? And what exactly do we mean by that? Uh, that's one of those things where the word's not there, but the concept kind of is of the Sunday assembly uh, the Sunday assembling, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and that, yeah, there is the gathering of the church, but then there's times where just a few people gather and, and that's the church because they're Christians, but it's not all of us. It's not, uh, the, the full assembly coming together. And so, yeah, it's, it's one of those that you, that you see, that's what they did on Sunday. They took, you know, Acts 20 verse seven, where he stays over the whole week. That's where we really start forming that concept of there was clearly a reason why he wanted to be there the next Sunday. He couldn't just do it Tuesday. Okay, something happened on Sunday. And then what happens on that Sunday? Well, they probably sang. He gave his message, Lord's Supper. Um, and so you you start putting those things together. And so I don't I don't think it's totally wrong headed, but the idea of, well, we didn't worship because we didn't we didn't have a contribution this time. Well, are we sure? And then you get to the question of like it Will brought up earlier, is contribution worship? And in a sense, you could say it is, but then in another sense, you're starting to get towards the argument people make with all of life is worship. You're serving God, you're giving of yourself to God. So that's worship, that's that's active, but it's not a, a heart, pray, you know, praising. Uh, worship and praise are, are words that are interchangeable. You really start opening up a lot of interesting conversations with this. Right. But on the other hand, I really do think if we're going to have a Sunday assembly, yeah, there's got to be some bounds on it. Like you said, we can't just go, ah, well, anything goes. That's that is first Corinthians 14, where it says women should be silent in the church. He doesn't mean they can't ever speak to anybody. They can't even say hi when they're around other Christians. There's clearly a an event that he has in mind there. And so it is that event that we're kind of talking about here. And I do think that is bound by certain things. But as far as does it have to have the five every time or it doesn't count? I don't. That I have a harder time seeing. I don't know. I'm, I'm not helping anybody here. What do you guys have? 
I think that was a good breakdown um, of the look when we come together to worship as a congregation. Like you said, it's not like anything goes. There are things that we read in the New Testament that need to be done a certain way. We firmly believe, and maybe we can just use this to dovetail into the song service section here, but we firmly believe that we should be singing acapella and worship. That's, once again, not something that we can just come to and say, ah, well, you know, kind of anything goes, you know, whatever we want to do. Um, we firmly believe that we should be opening God's word, at least to some extent, during the worship assembly. Sunday, worship assembly, we should be taking the Lord's Supper. Like, uh, when we come together on a Tuesday night and I have you guys over and we have a singing, we're very much worshiping. We wouldn't call it corporate worship or the worship assembly because we're not taking the Lord's Supper on Tuesday night. We might not crack open a Bible to hear a Devo or even have a scripture reading, but we're singing together. We're, we're praising God and we're worshiping together. That's an important difference to distinguish, I think. But I think you did a good job breaking that down. I don't know if you have anything to add, Joe. And if you, if you do, go for it. If you don't, if you want to go ahead and get us into that first section of let's examine each of these. Let's talk about maybe what are the ways we can improve and enhance these. And I'd say let's start with the song service. What a lot of people, I mean, this this is what the Church of Christ is kind of known for, that being we're the church that doesn't use instruments. And so it's a pretty big part of our worship. Obviously, all are important, all are big parts, but this is a, as far as percentage of time, this is right after the sermon in terms of what takes up the most time in worship. So it's a pretty big one. I think it's a good place to start. Yeah, it's also the most clear form of worship. I'd say this and Lord's Supper, the two that are like, absolutely, these are part of worship going all the way back to psalmists and and the praise and the assembly and Exodus numbers, you know, Leviticus numbers, Deuteronomy. Song is associated quite a bit with that. Um, and so, yeah, song service instruments were a big part. They're not anymore. Uh, and obviously, that's what we believe. And so going to Ephesians 5, that's going to be our key passage. Everybody knows Ephesians 5. Actually, the one in Colossians pulled up. Got a bit of an outline, but um, Ephesians 5, 18 and 19. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. So we're, we are to be Spirit-filled, not drunk. Clearly, there's a correlation there of, like, we're supposed to have this jubilant, like, just excessive level of praise, in my opinion. I mean... You look at the average person singing on Sunday, would they ever come across as drunk because of the joy, because of the spirit filling them? No, but there seems to kind of be a connection being made there. But I think this he's hes clearly showing this is a, it's very important for Christians to admon or like to, to build up one another with Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. The question that I'd have with this and, and sorry, go ahead. sorry, go for it, go for it. I was just going to ask, don't lose your question, because I'm sure it's a good one, judging by the look on your face as you're about to ask it. Um, this is so common sense and obvious in the sense that you look around on a Sunday morning, everybody looks like they'd rather be anywhere else but there, that they just woke up, that they're not feeling great, you know, they're mumbling through the songs. What level of encouraging is that for you? What level of that is, is exhorting one another to you, speaking to one another in that way? Zero. Compared to the times that maybe we have sat around in, in a uh, living room or something, like I mentioned a second ago on a Tuesday night, and man, everybody is singing to God, singing jubilantly, as you said. They really are filled with the Spirit, and they are they are singing, and, and it's, it's encouraging. It's exhorting to, to each other to be in that kind of environment. So it, it's, it's, it's frustrating to me that more often than not, and I don't have a percentage, this is, this is purely um, my opinion as somebody who's visited a lot of congregations. More often than not, it's the opposite of what I just described. It's once again, the right. kind of sitting there mumbling through it. 
that's what that that to me is the chief area of of, of of worship that can be enhanced and can be improved. And where I would start is honestly through pulpits and through teaching, teaching people it's wrong to sing in that way. It's wrong to a, a not sing. You look around and there if if the congregation is big enough, there's probably some people that aren't singing. And B to ha- not have your your heart and your spirit involved in the singing. You know, that's tough to quantify. And we don't always want to be the people that are jumping down people's throats saying it's a sin. You have to do X, Y, and Z. However, I don't think we emphasize enough from our pulpits and from our Bible classes and just amongst each amongst other. We need to be singing passionately. We need to be worshiping in spirit, right? We get the truth part nailed down in the church of Christ. A lot of times we don't get the spirit part nailed down. And so, Joe, I know you had a question, but as I, as I was wanting to get to kind of how do we improve and enhance it, we got to start emphasizing it's not really allowed for anybody to just take an to a passive. I'll just kind of sit through the song service and not really participate. Yeah. I, I would go so far as to say that as, as that is wrong. I don't know about you. I'm going to come back around to my question, but I, cause I want to speak to your point there. I absolutely think you're right. I think the heart is always, always has to be present, but this is why going back to that podcast you referenced earlier of the three things we change. It was on that one or maybe another one where I talked about getting rid of the four part harmony. A lot of people go, no, 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 you can't do that. I'm not saying you absolutely have to, but I'll tell you what, you look around, I think there's a lot of people that struggle because they don't know where they fit in the four-part harmony. And that includes me. I don't, I'm not a great bass, not a great tenor. They say, well, why don't you learn? Yes, I have learned. And there's certain songs that I do know that. That's easier said than done. I have learned some of those things, but I think that discourages people from really singing out is you got somebody directly in front of you and you're nervous about how you sound. And we've put such a premium on sounding great that when I went to Ghana in West Africa, you had 700 members of this congregation. I mean, four-part harmony was foreign to them. They had no concept of what that was. It was beautiful. Was everybody in tune? Of course not. Of course not. They weren't singing the same key. It didn't matter because everybody was singing out with, with you know, this, again, jubilant song in their heart. It didn't matter that the guy behind me couldn't carry a tune in a bucket and because I couldn't hardly either. And so the guy in front of me, everybody kind of expects it, but the joy of singing was there. And I feel like we've robbed right. people of the joy of singing in a lot of ways, because if you don't have Mariah Carey's voice, you have a difficult time singing with the guy in front of you. You're afraid, well, I might get him off. And then you're so busy focused on the notes that you're not focused you on the words that you're supposed to say. imagine sitting in front of Mariah Carey on a Sunday morning? That'd be brutal, oh, man. man. Oh, seriously, what is wrong with you? You're terrible. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but I mean, that's the, I don't know that I know it's a little that's bit of a soapbox. I know I, I've already gone on that, but I feel like that's part of why you go around the rest of the world. And I've been fortunate to travel a lot and I've been fortunate to worship in a lot of different places. America is one of the only ones that really struggles with our song service in that way. Again, I worshiped at several congregations around the world. They all seem to have a, they're okay with just singing. They're okay with making that jubilant song to the Lord. We're the ones that have the problem. Why? Maybe because we live in an American Idol generation. Everybody has to be top-notch singing. I don't know. I could be that's off on that. That's not my but talent. I really, right. Exactly. Yeah. I really feel like that's why people hold back in singing. Like to your point, Will, it's wrong. You're holding yourself back and you're not really giving it all to the Lord. And I fall into, I'm stepping on my own toes here. Like, But we have to start prioritizing singing as this is one of our primary ways to worship God. We have to give him our best. Jack, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I, when you say all that, it makes me think of there was a brother in East Texas when I preached there and he would lead songs and just not classically, not not trained as a song leader or anything. He could lead some songs. He he had some favorites he could get them to do. He was kind of the backup song leader. And 
one of his favorites was where no one stands alone. And he passed away a few years ago. And I, I can just still hear in the back of my head him at the top of his lungs in that course, take my hand. And uh, like, it brings a tear to my eye and it was not perfectly in tune or anything like that, but it was like, he felt it. He like it, it just mattered to him. And when he's doing that and he's just belting it out, you're not reserved. You're not. And, and so I think sometimes you're, you're right about the polish, the shine that, you know, if, if he, if the guy up front is having to be really polished and shine and everyone else feels like that. And I'm not like down, you know, play downplaying, trained song leaders good song leaders will's a good song leader no, i mean we've got I. good song leaders right. where we go um but still just that like we don't we don't have to hold back we can really let loose and it's it's okay i think you're on to a good point there on the how do we improve there's two things that come to mind for me one is from the scriptures first corinthians 14 26 what is the outcome then brethren when you assemble each one has a psalm has a teaching has a revelation has a tongue has an interpretation let all things be done for edification this idea of, man, everybody comes to worship bringing something. Hey, I want to share a song that I want to sing. Or, hey, I've been studying this verse. And this is one of those where, again, with the five acts of worship worship thing, it makes you wonder, is that what it'll look like for them? Where they got up, they had their announcements, the prayer for the ready recollection, two songs and a prayer, two songs in the Lord's Supper, song, worship, song, invita- or invitation, or I mean, song, sermon, invitation, the end kind of thing. That doesn't, it's not what it sounds like. It sounds like, hey, you're going to come, you're going to bring your family to church. Uh, not necessarily that you're going to be asked to get up and speak. We've kind of talked about that and I'm not big on like every guy needs to get up and give a lesson, but man, you gotta, it didn't seem like they had a program of events. <laughs> it's like a list of everything. Right. That was not a happen, program right? of events. The other thing being you came thinking, I want to sing this song. So you're a, you're an active participant. You're somebody who's right. bringing something of like, Hey, I'm contributing to this too. I'm not just going to receive what they hear. Oh, this guy picked six songs for me and whether I know them or not, I'm going to go along with it. And that's it you have more buy-in to the worship service when you're like, you know what? This week, this song has really been on my heart. I'm going to bring that one. Note part two of mine. Notice he doesn't just say a song. What did he say? Each one has a Psalm. Mm. We did a whole, I really am going to recommend it again. Titus who pushed, uh, who gave us this episode idea is a big advocate for Psalm singing. We sing hallelujah. Praise Jehovah's from Psalm 148. We sing, the Lord is my shepherd from Psalm 23. There's like three or four that are sourced from the Psalms. That's it. And we made a whole hour long case on, on who let the dogma out. And I think we call it the top 150 Christian songs because these are the church's songbook. It was the church's songbook. We don't use it. And getting into those, number one, they're not four part harmony. So there answers Joe's question right there. Or Joe's issue right there. Number two, the spectrum of things it sings about. It is. I mean, you look at there's this song that just went viral on Twitter, number one on the charts or whatever, a country song. And this guy just lamenting the state of the country. You can't afford anything. It's got some language in it. I'm not going to, you know, uh, praise it too much, but it was just a straight lament. And people are like, man, I, I felt that that resonated with me. The Psalms have lamentations. The Psalms have, you know, David going, man, where is God? This is times are tough. Psalms have praise. The Psalms have you know, I'm, I'm ready to go into his courts with Thanksgiving. They've got that spectrum of, of everything. And so I think finding ways to incorporate Psalms into our worship would be one way to break it up because it's, it's in our scriptures. It's things that are relatable like that. Um, and then the other thing, again, from that verse is having, and I don't know, at a church of like 400, this would be really hard. Not every guy can bring a song every week in a church like ours. I, I think it's, an, it's fully doable. Another vote for why smaller is better. Another way, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, 
I, it's my preference, but it's because of things like this. There's things you just can't do when it gets to a certain size. I think it would really help if so. So every head of a household, you're like, hey, bring something. Jack, mm. Joe, I fully expect y'all to get ready to lead a song this coming Sunday morning. I, I will no, be no, watching no, no. and waiting for it. I will bring <laughs> a song number that you can lead. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Uh, I'll be the one bringing a, a teaching or Joe will bring the teaching. Right, I'll bring right. the interpretation to tell everybody what he meant. And then we'll bring nice. a psalm. So <laughs> there nice. you go. There you go. Uh, Jack Joe, we do need to move too. on. That'd be but, but Joe, I know you had a question. So, oh, yeah. I was just going to say and see if I can trip you guys up. Is Ephesians 5 in a worship context, oh corporate boy. worship context? Oh, man. So this is where you get it. Let me let me just say this. There's a lot of people in the church of Christ. We are, I wanted to make this quick point because, yeah, we're obviously known for our acapella worship. In my opinion, going to Colossians 3, 16, 17, going to Ephesians 5, 18, and 19, personally, I know you can get into the Greek and solo, and that's uh, plucking the strings of the heart and everything else. You could make a case that's not really in the corporate worship context. Uh, yeah, Therefore, we can use instruments. I think, no, we can't use instruments. You're saying, you're saying that's what people, like, you could, somebody can make say. a case is what you're Correct. saying. Correct. Yeah, that's yeah. what the Baptist could make a case. If I was on the other side of it and playing devil's advocate, and I have before with people, and I say, well, that's not in a worship context, and they go, uh, well, we have two verses in the New Testament that seem to point toward acapella worship, and I think both of them could potentially be taken out of context. So this it trips up a lot of people. They go, no, well, I, why, why do we worship without instruments? I think that's sure. a great point. And, and I've taught this to, to young people before. Like, I don't really like that this is pretty much the standard answer in the Church of Christ. Oh, why don't you use instruments? Oh, well, because Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3. And all right, we'll move on. Have a nice day. It's like, that's like you said, that's pretty, not, I don't want to say easily debunked, but like somebody could very easily walk you and, you know, talk you in logical circles around that where you're going, like you said, well, well, goodness, I don't know. Maybe that's not in a worship setting. And so to me, the best argument for why we don't use instruments and why we do sing acapella in worship have always been more of the historical ones. The fact that the early church did not use instruments, that we don't see them appearing until what was like the fifth or sixth century AD, which basically guarantees that the first century church didn't use them. And it's like, well, if, Peter and Paul and John and all of them weren't using instruments. Probably safe to say we shouldn't use instruments either. I know the the temple worship argument is a really good one as well. The fact that they instruments were used in the temple when the when they weren't worshiping the temple, instruments weren't used. Um, and so that's a, obviously a quick twenty second version of what we could get into here. But I'm with you, Joe. I've never really thought that those are the best those are the best arguments to use. Can it be a part of our argument? Sure, but I think the historical ones make a whole lot more sense to me. Yeah. I think the temple ones, this will be the last thing that we move on. The temple ones you just talked about, Psalm 137, they're, they're by the rivers of Babylon. They've been removed from Babylon. This is where you get into uh, synagogues. Synagogue worship took place in the 70 years in Babylon because right. they were moved from the temple. They didn't use instruments in synagogue worship. We base ours off synagogue worship. Why didn't they use instruments in the synagogue? Psalm 137 shows like we've forgotten you know, how to, how to pluck the strings, the harp and such. It was for temple worship. And so when you remove the people from the temple, they went into acapella singing away from the temple. Why do we have it in Revelation? Because there's the temple there. So you have it in the Old Testament, you have it in Revelation, both are in the temple. Right now we are the temple, meaning music comes from us. And it's also a participatory thing. Everybody's expected to sing. And so when you have an instrument, do you have the rock band up front or does everybody come and play an instrument? Like, well, clearly that's not going to take place. So we are the instrument. That's why we use it. So I just want to give that brief aside because I think there's a lot of people in the Church of Christ that really don't fully know why we shouldn't use instruments. And yeah, I, I think there's a deeper study there once you go more than just Ephesians yeah. 5, Colossians 3. Let's, fellas, are you going to move on? Real, yeah, real quick, I was just going to say to kind of summarize like what the suggestions that we had, you know, just 
the, the our, our three opinions like they're worth about as much as everybody else's but we would suggest something that i brought up was once again let's emphasize from the pulpit more it's wrong to to not sing out and and to not be filled with the spirit in that way jack talked about using the psalms he talked about kind of everybody bringing something joe was yours i don't know if you had another suggestion yes in addition i do to, yeah go ahead last thing i'll say and this is speaking to the song leaders out there i know we got a few song leaders that listen to us i loved it when we did this at the congregation previously that i went to um saturday friday saturday they'd be reaching out what are you preaching on all right they build the song yeah. service around what i'm preaching on and then they were very thoughtful in how they prepped it and so instead of just first and you know first and third verses and the, the second always gets forgotten or the third of four always gets forgotten they looked at it like and they would say okay this one makes sense this one makes sense so it is well with my soul you can't not sing all three verses you just got to know that you can't not i mean the every verse builds on itself um be very intentional if you're a song leader be intentional with the ones you decide to skip and maybe consider not skipping all of them the other thing that i would say who says that we have to give four or five songs we, when we were at Lone Tree, we did nine or 10 songs. We had one worship service that day. And so we just went for like two hours. We do nine, 10, 11 songs. And it was amazing. I mean, it was just fantastic. So yeah, we got to get out of there. Clock's ticking. People are looking at their watches. Maybe that's the problem. Maybe that's an issue of the heart is right. that they're, they're really wanting to get to lunch instead of that. I know we got kids. I got young kids. Man, it's difficult. But maybe don't cap it at four or five songs. Maybe consider the six, the seven, the eight. And tailor make it to the song service or you know to the entire worship so that's what i would say as to how we might enhance our our song service i was just yeah, looking at my watch and realized we got to get get done at the sorry no no i'm just playing on your point there you know like we got to get yeah. this over with okay <laughs> but so but in reality reading. yeah let's talk about no, scripture joe, reading joe, joe's saying that because he's usually the one that's going over when he's preaching so it's true <laughs> yeah dude I yeah. Used, they used to let me preach 50 minutes i would go 45 oh, to 50 minutes and he would do it Yep, I do that's it. right. I'm sure oh, yeah. I'm sure All right. right, let's talk. Let's talk scripture reading, and we we can't go a little quicker here. I guess the only point that I really wanted to make here, and this is very much stepping on our toes, you know, the three of us, because at the congregation we currently attend, this is not a huge part of our worship. And then because so once again, this would technically, I'm trying to see, you know, something of the the five acts of worship. This is technically not in the quote unquote five acts of worship that the church teaches, uh, the Church of Christ usually teaches, but my only point with this is I think we need more just reading of God's word together as a congregation. What do you see in most congregations? They'll right before the sermon, somebody will get up and read two verses if 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 they're lucky, right? You might maybe it's just one verse, right? But like two verses, 25 seconds of God's word, and then straight into the sermon. And yes, I get that we're we're reading hopefully and, and going through God's word during the sermon and things like that. But you look at the old testament, what do they do in the old testament? They read the law. They read the law in the presence of all the people. Kids were there. Uh, wives were there. Everybody was there, and they were reading the law. I don't know what it looks like exactly. I'll open it up here as far as what you guys suggest as far as, again, improvements on, on this and ways to enhance on this area. But reading God's word together as a congregation I think is huge. I think it needs to be implemented more than it is, and you know, certainly at least in our congregation. What do you guys have to add? I want to add to your Deuteronomy point. First Timothy 4, Paul said, Paul said, till I come Give attention to the public reading of scripture is how the NASB puts it. It's really just give attention to the reading. And it says, and exhortation and teaching. We do the teaching. We do some of the exhortation, but like give attention to that. That was like a really big emphasis. That's he expects something to come of that is people hearing the word of God read. I remember uh, my dad had a real good friend who was a Lutheran. 
and he was talking, you know, they're just chatting or whatever. And he said, yeah, uh, I've got a, I don't get up and worship very often, but this week they're asking me to do the scripture reading. I'm pretty nervous. And dad was like, what do you mean you're pretty nervous? You get up, you read a couple of verses, sit down. He's like, so what do you got to read? Uh, first Peter. And he's like, oh, that that's why you're nervous. You've got to read first <laughs> Peter, the entire oh, thing. Wow. Yeah. And so like any that's that's just something they did. And it was like, oh, you just a little bit of a glimpse into where it's how it's done denominationally. And like, OK, why? The, that's not a bad thing that they do that. That's that's probably better that they're doing that, that we're not. And and you don't have to read five chapters of first Peter every time, but you can read a chapter. You can. And I, I really like this at Forney. We did have it to where it was divided up. And sometimes it was shorter ones. It was six verses. But we read through a book of the Bible in chunks every single week yeah, why like not or a psalm I I, I, i've been places where the the guy that gets up and he gives the announcements says the prayer and then reads a psalm to get us into the worship those kinds of things are, are great ways to think through this and and just make the scriptures part of it because it's it's heady man like you actually put two seconds of thought into this it wasn't all right who's doing what okay let's let's go up there it's kind of like a rush huddle in football no you prep for the game Everybody knows what role they're playing. Everybody knows what they're doing. And it shows that you put a little thought into this. You picked out the perfect psalm to really kick us off. I mean, that's really what we're calling for is, I think, for people to be more engaged. And this speaks to us at Jackson Temple. Like, for people to be more engaged as they get up to give this. And I think the reading of the scripture is a great one. And, and maybe this is just going to be in a snarky mood. But my goodness, I'm going off again. <laughs> this, it just frustrates me. It's almost like everything we do. We rush through just to get to the end because it's almost like we can't stand worshiping. The Lord's Supper is three minutes to five minutes. R scripture reading is like two verses. We'd sing maybe five songs. And then if the preacher, God forbid, he go over 30 minutes, people start looking at their watches. We li I literally was at a church. The guy would get up and stand underneath the clock. Like, just to let you know, you've gone a little long. Like, I don't what in the world? I don't know that we don't, not, we can't stand worship. I think it's, I'm not saying we can't stand. it's like, I'm saying it's like we can't. Right. I, I it comes off do. that way. I get it. it so I, I think it, yep. the best explanation for it is it's weird. Uh, we talked about recently, or I'm a big fan of making worship as different from the rest of life as, as everything else. And so why I advocate for dressing up for worship and, and things like that is that, so Sunday morning is not the same as Saturday and it's not the same as Monday. It's something different, but man, we're uncomfortable special, with weird. Right. Right. And I really think I've talked about this a bunch lately. How many stories you hear of people going Orthodox or Catholic right now? Yeah. I think doctrinally, we have every reason why people shouldn't go to those. Why do people go to them? Because they walk in there and it's like, whoa, there's right. they're doing something here. There's something to this. It's different. There's this is religious. We're trying not to be religious. We like we literally we think religious is a bad, a bad word. And so we downplay that part of it to, altogether. Well, Settling people into uncomfortable, settling people in it, it's it's going to be an acquired taste. Psalm singing is one of those things of like, oh wow, this is a little different because it's going to be chanting and like we don't we don't chant. We try and make our songs sound very palatable to the American, as you said, pop pop culture, or whatever. And uh, again, the more we make our worship different, well, sitting and listening to somebody read scripture for a, a good five ten minutes, that's weird. Okay, let's do it. Let's it gets us. It right. breaks us into that world i think that's a great point i would be an advocate as we're as we're just kind of talking about ways to improve i would be an advocate and guys maybe we need to implement this at jackson temple start your worship instead of a 12 minute spiel of announcements and everything you got going on start the worship with the reading of scripture and then yep. end the worship with the reading of scripture 
That's what I would be personally an advocate for. Like talk about the perfect way to bookend your worship. Whereas you're getting up there, welcoming everybody, you're starting off reading Psalm 22 or whatever it is. Go throughout the worship. If you keep, you know, invitation, whatever, closing song, you end, you know, prayer, whatever, end with with the reading of the scripture. Right now, it just gets so little, and I hate to put it this way, but so little press. It's like we, we go over in the sermon, maybe the Lord's Supper Devo, they hit on it. But other than that, we're not reading a whole lot of scripture in worship. To me, that's that's got to change. I love that idea. And I think it would be really smart to do announcements at the end. We did this at a church. I mentioned church right and left, but we did this at one of our churches. And it made a huge difference because you get up to give the announcements and, oh, little Miss So-and-so, I didn't know that. Boy, boy, I'm now thinking about her and I need to get her a card. And, oh, I forgot to take her a meal. And next thing you know, you're thinking, you're about, thinking about God. Right. So you're not thinking about God. You're not prepped for worship. You're not ready for this wartime. Like we're getting pumped. And not only that, week. but you get this prayer request of somebody. It's like, okay, cool. Now worship time. And then you, by the time you leave, I just forgot all about everybody we mentioned, yeah. unless I'm actively writing it down or it's in a bulletin or something. Yeah. Once again, we're just coming back to the same idea. We're going to move on here. Engage with this. Think about what you're doing as you go into worship. This is all I ask. And people get real weird about it. They go, boy, you're trying to change everything. No, we're not. We're trying to be intentional and thinking to your point, Will, that we started with, which is, can this be improved and enhanced? Can we glorify God a little bit better in the way we do it? And if we did, I think we would be a lot, we would engage a lot more with questions like this. So to the next one, getting into scripture reading, I think we're done with that one. So song service, scripture reading, next act of worship, Jackie, both of you put, Okay, gotcha, is the sermon. Now we get this from Acts 20, verse 7, as Jack already previously mentioned. Paul holds over in Troas. He waits in, in chapter 20. This is one of the reasons why we think Lord's Supper on first day of the week. One of the key scriptures for that is he waits to have it with him. And then he preaches till midnight. The guy falls out the window. Poor guy. Uh, of course, Paul revives him, so he's all okay. Um, you know, just rub some dirt on it type of thing. Is that but where you learn to preach so long? Dude, Paul did preach till midnight. So you guys that are was the problem at Lone Tree is we met on the second floor. Like you, you were re- literally putting at this risk, man. <laughs> Joe, Joe's out here saying he's Paul. Great. Yeah, extending his message <laughs> yeah. till midnight. Dude, and- I'm better than Paul. I never had anybody fall asleep out of a window. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> good right. thing because you couldn't heal him. That's for sure. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good point. Paul's like, I got this in my back pocket, guys. It's all right. It's all right. Um, but usually, I mean, this is usually where we go, right, to show. Look, you had a long message. Now, could there be holes in that? And I'm going to throw that to you guys. Could there be holes well, in using that as that? You, sorry, sorry. Restate your question. Could there be holes in what now? Using that scripture in Acts 20 to prove that ser- the sermon is an act of worship that must be done every single Sunday. Is that the key passage, do you think, as to why we should con- include a sermon on Sundays? I know that's that's usually the Church of Christ kind of proof text for it. Um I guess in my answering of the question, so to say, well, to answer that question, I personally have never really seen God have some kind of sermon as an act of worship. I think God's word needs to be opened. I think that there probably needs to be some teaching going on, but does it have to be in like the way that we read it? It's got to be a message preached, a, a lecture, I guess, preached by one person where everybody is the audience. Personally, I don't think so. And maybe that maybe that's heresy. Maybe that's, you know, something that is gonna get me canceled. I hope not. But I think that going to that one place just to say, okay, every worship now has to have something like that. I don't think it always has to be lecture based. I think if you're opening the God's word and, and the men together are teaching and it is more of a teaching type of moment, I don't see anything wrong with that. I think if you got together and like we talked about a second ago, just read scripture, maybe you don't get as much out of it. But I think that's I think that would work. I think that would qualify. And so 
that would be what I would say, Jack. I'll let you answer in just a second, but I'm also going to kind of kick you off, you both of you guys off, because y'all have talked about this before, as far as let's evaluate the sermon as it is currently structured in the Church of Christ today. Because I know we have suggested before that it's kind of turned into, I don't want to use the word useless, but a pretty futile effort, because you think about those of you who are preachers listening to this, how many hundreds of sermons you've preached. Now think about your congregation, and why don't you put a number on how many sermons you think that they remember, or how many points from your sermon they you know that you think that they remember. Man, people forget the sermon by Tuesday. And so let's talk about the sermon for just a second. I, I'm not one that says we should just completely cut it out, that it's completely useless, but I think it needs to be evaluated in a lot of ways. So Jack, I'll hand that off to you to kind of maybe answer Joe's question and then get us into that. Yeah, uh, to Joe's question, I'm not sure. I mean, it's one of those kind of like the instruments thing. You look at history, they just always have had somebody get up and, and expound on the word. And Acts 2, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Seemed like Timothy and Titus you know, were expected to teach in some form, but also on a more personal form. It wasn't just pulpit. I think we overdo the pulpit part, but I don't think right. it means it it should be done away with either. Um, as far as the question about... I, I mean, like, I don't want to come down too hard on people because there's been times where, like, I got to Tuesday and I was like, what What did I preach this week? You know, it's just yeah. because you do, I mean, you churn out 52 a year on Sunday morning. So you do Sunday morning and Sunday night, 104 plus a Sunday class plus a Wednesday class. And if they're not like in sync in some way, the brain doesn't really work that way to retain all kinds of different, you know, things. That, and again, a thing that like gets dropped, you, you, you close that book. And then pick it back up the next week, and especially if it's not a consecutive series. I mean, that's one of the best things that I ever did was preach consecutively through the text. Because we're like, all right, last week we talked about this. Next week we're going to talk about this. You know exactly where we are. You can read ahead. You can and and so like you I kind of stay marked. Yeah, and and so with with Mark, we're not starting fresh every week. We're not starting from zero. We're starting from all right. Let's remind you of this and. When you go through these books, they echo themselves so many times that by the time you get to the end of it, you've heard and, and you've kind of internalized chapter two and three seven times because they've come up again in chapter eight and chapter 12. And, and so you really know that book well by the end of it. Uh, and so that's uh, I'm going to get ahead of us a little bit on different types of sermons. I'm big on consecutive and, and I know sermon series do this to a degree, but it's better textually, I think. And then the other thing is really doing something to make it stick. And sometimes it's an application point of, all right, this week, call three people to, but you can't do that every week. Um, I, we just started something here at Jackson Temple. I had done it before in Forney. I think Joe had done it in Denver at Miller Street. I think it's something that got a lot of popularity in the COVID years when like Bible classes, the schedule was not the, the what it once was, is taking time after the worship service to get back together to discuss the sermon. And we actually did this way back at, at Pritchett, you know, like 10 years ago when I started preaching where Sunday night worship, they're like, yeah, we don't really want another sermon. And I said, well, do you want me to like have a Bible class about the Sunday morning sermon? They said, yeah, we want that. And there were a couple of times where somebody's like, well, should we change that up? And there were a number of people who were like, no, that is my favorite thing because I get to ask questions. I get to apply it. I get to think through and, and really bring it home where I didn't just hear a sermon and it went one ear and out the other. Now I've got something I can really wrap my mind around and, and stew on it a little bit longer. And so I'm a big advocate of that. I'm really glad we're doing that now is a 
I guess you could call it a class based on the sermon later in the day, whether it's right after, whether it's evening service, whatever, even if it's Wednesday and you come back around to, all right, we studied this here some more. Let's, let's dig deeper. Uh, it, not making it a one-off standalone, I think is, is kind of the point I'm making there. I think it's great. A great point. Um, yeah, as far as it goes to the sermon, you already talked about this. I want to give this and then time-wise we'll probably need to move on. Um, there are different types. There is the proof texting sermon, which is just, and this is kind of the old church of Christ way. You bounce around to 60 different verses to prove your point. Um, not the best sermon way of doing it just because you're taking a lot of different texts. First off, when people are trying to follow along, it's difficult to follow along with. The second thing is you catch a lot of people staying there and just reading what they had because you've gone to a lot of different ones. The third one is you're taking a lot of things out of context. That's one of them. There's topical, there's narrative, there's exegetical or textual. Um, narrative to me seems to be one that's really come up in the culture of the Francis Chan types where they're just kind of spelling out this narrative. There's not really one thesis from a hermeneutic or not hermeneutic from a um, homiletic point of view where there's the one thought, the one thesis, not really, you know, it's more of a narrative based thing. And so that's really gotten popular in the culture topical talking about love joy whatever it is and then obviously the exegetical um textual digging into the text expository sermon and uh, i would say that's this is just kind of a run through of of the different types of sermons and you might see your preacher blend some of these you might see that he's got a you know desire to kind of spend time on topical or whatever else for the preachers that listen to this make sure that you're giving your people a blend is what i would say yes it's good to have some topics and to do a series on topics it's good to do a series on digging into the deep uh, or into the text rather digging deep into the text the exegetical the you know expository sermons but i think people need kind of a blend of each we want to be discussing all of those things so from the preachers that listen to our podcast we just encourage you that's something we try to do as well is just to kind of blend those different styles but will do you have some thoughts on that no i think y'all covered it well um i tend to lean more away from the proof texting like you said i'd I don't think that that's a great one um, as far as a style goes. Um, topical can be overdone. Narrative can be overdone. I mean, you could even art. It sounds crazy to think that, you know, just textual sermons can be overdone. But sometimes I think you do need a zoomed out picture rather than always a zoomed in picture. And so exegetical slash textual would be the one that I would lean more towards generally. But sometimes, you know, I wouldn't say isolated to just that. Um, I don't know if you guys had anything else as far as just the, the ways to improve. As Jack bringing up what we're doing now, I think it was a great point there. But ways to ways to improve and and kind of enhance our our, our sermon time. Did y'all have anything else you wanted to add to that before we move on to Lord's Supper? Okay. Well, I'm going to stop right there, actually, and we're going to be back to the episode in, we'll say, 90 seconds. And we want to promote a a product from Focus Press that. Um, Took a lot of work from my dad, Brad Harib, and, and it's really, to me, one of the better products that we have. And that's the biology textbook that Focus Press offers, a science textbook. It's called Biology, Examining the Evidence Textbook. It is for high school level. Um, it is a complete textbook for a whole year. So if you're um, a homeschool family and you are looking for a science curriculum for your freshman in high school, for your ninth grader, your 10th grader, um, we would strongly urge you to take a look at that. Take a look at the biology textbook. I think I took biology in 10th grade. 
um, if I remember correctly. And so um, Focus Press offers just that textbook for $55. It also offers a lab manual and a teacher's manual um, in addition to the textbook itself. And you can get all of that just for $96. And so we know right now that school is pretty much going, for, at least for public school, school is back in session. But uh, we also know that for homeschoolers that uh, that date can fluctuate and maybe there's some last minute scrambling going on for curriculum. And so um, did want to encourage everybody, take a look at that focuspress.org, just search biology or biology textbook, and you'll be able to see all the different uh, things you can, you can buy just the lab manual. You can buy just the teacher's manual or just the textbook again, which is $55. Obviously most bang for your buck is going to be the package deal. It gets all of them for under a hundred dollars, $96, but science curriculum for a whole year for, for your homeschool kids. If you've got a co-op that maybe you think would be interested in it, or maybe a Christian private school, we would highly recommend you go there. Once again, biology, um, textbook, examining the evidence. If you got any questions about it, anything else you want to find out, focuspress.org or give us a call 615-324-5870. We can give you some more information. Now let's get back to it. So we've talked about the song service. We've talked about scripture and talked about the sermon and we are goodness, 50 minutes in. So we got to kind of breeze through these last few ones, but let's talk about the Lord's supper. Um, I actually went back and listened in preparation for this episode to our episode where we talked about the changes we'd make to worship. And I think one of the things that Jack brought up in that episode was this concept of the Lord's Supper right now is kind of very individual focus. Like it's okay. You have your own moment of silence. You you take of the bread, take of the cup, and you just kind of sit there with your head bowed, your eyes closed. And it's very individual as opposed to this idea of communion, this idea of being more communal, this idea of, hey, we're taking this together. We're a body of believers that is partaking of the Lord's Supper. Um, so I didn't want to steal Jack's point. I know Jack's got some probably thoughts that he wants to give on that, but um, let's let's talk about that and then just immediately go ahead and get into maybe what are some improvements and, and things that we would suggest to enhance it. Yeah, I mean, just communion. Uh, I'm going to have this private moment by myself. We're going to call it communion. Eh, it's not really that. Now, the hard part is, okay, what would be more communal? What would be more shared? Uh, I know some churches like have people walk two tables and take it together with a group of other Christians. Um, I don't know. That that seems like a hard sell. Uh, a lot of buildings aren't even arranged for that. I'm not sure uh, on that level of if that's the direction I would go with it. But on the other hand, I don't. Something that breaks us out of the I'm having the moment with Jesus by myself. And really, because we do that is why when the world shut down and they said everybody get locked in your homes that we said, yeah, it's okay to take a cracker and juice by yourself in your home with nobody else around and call it that. It's not. It's uh, that that was not the point of it. I mean, you look at first Corinthians 11 and and we read that every week and yet we kind of miss the before and after part, which is like, hey, if you're doing this not all together, it's really missing the point. Like the point is we do this, we share in the body and the blood together. You got people who are rushing ahead and taking it before other people can get there. And he's like, yeah, no, don't do it like that. That's not why we do any of this. And so, yeah, as to as to the practical of what would be done to make it more of an appreciated, more of a shared thing. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm open to suggestions from you guys, suggestions let, from the deep thinkers, ask, but go ahead. Let me ask this. Yo, I'm sure you got some thoughts. Pretty much everywhere that I've ever been, and maybe it's supposed to be this way, and you know, maybe this is something that I need to do more study on. Um, it is so incredibly, I guess, formal would be the word I would use. Like you feel like you're at a funeral, mm -hmm. and I understand we need to be reflective. I understand we need to be examining ourselves, as First Corinthians eleven says. I understand that this is a time to to remember back on on the most significant event in the history of human life. Uh, as you reflect back on the single reason why we're at worship to begin with, the single reason why we have hope, the single reason why we have grace, 
I understand that that is that can be sobering. That that is a a maybe a, a time for somber reflection. Here, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, guys. I would also see that as a pretty good reason to celebrate. Not that we need to have throw a party or anything like that, but like that's that that's a cause for joy. That's a cause for jubilation. We've used that word a lot. That's a cause for excitement. And so this is purely just me thinking out loud. I don't have any concrete ways of hey, this is how we can make it less you know, funeral type of feel, because again, I do think there need to be different elements of, of soberness and then being somber and reflective. I, I don't know. I, I think there needs to be an element of this is a joyful time. This is a time to, to look back on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the grace of God as a reason for us to smile throughout the week, as a reason for us to be excited that we're Christians. And man, it's just everywhere that I've ever been, it's such a, everybody stay really quiet. Everybody, you know, don't you don't dare crack a smile because it's supposed to be a serious time. You know, I don't know. I, again, I don't know of, of any ways off the top of my head to improve it in that way. But that, those were just kind of my thoughts of like, let's let's make it a little bit more of a joyful. Again, I hate to use the word celebration because everybody thinks birthday party. That's not what I'm talking about. But something that's, again, a little less somber. I don't know. Joe, what are, you, what are your thoughts on that or maybe anything else that you had? Sure. This would never gain traction. But I do feel like having them around the table, like if we thought of it, the pews are so non-conducive. Like they, they're just not great for communion and and communion in every sense of the word, not just Lord's Supper, but just communing together, um, everybody facing one direction. The ideal for me would be people are either around a, you know, tables or something like that. Would this be a great time to confess our sins to one another or to talk about how God's working in our lives this week, to talk about how we're going to take the sacrifice of Christ into the next week, like making this a time where we're really reflecting on, am I right? First Corinthians 11 makes it very clear. Like, am I right with God? Am I in a good state with him? And if we weren't doing, and I know it's kind of a derogatory term, I don't want to get in trouble, but like the chip and sip, man, maybe we need to start thinking about what if we gave it a little bit more grape juice? What if we had actual unleavened bread, not some matzo cracker that's not unleavened bread? What or if we actually like got they're doing the, or styrofoam? Oh, the they're still doing the COVID. Good thing. night. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, those are juicy juice too. There's no way that's actual. Like there's no possible way when they're coming in those little cups that they send all over. There's no way. I'm sorry. It does not taste right. And that's styrofoam, not unleavened bread. We have to get away from that. As a matter of fact, one of the young guys that I know, he's right around maybe a little bit younger than me. He left for orthodoxy to your point, Jack. He left for orthodoxy. You know, the biggest reason why he left the thing that really got him starting to think the other way, our Lord's Lord Supper. He looked at our Lord's Supper and said, this is sacrilegious. The way we're doing it with, especially during COVID, where everybody grabs their little, you know, two-in-one cups and you take the little styrofoam. It's like, that is not us partaking of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. And you know what? He's absolutely right. Is he right to go to orthodoxy? No, of course not. I don't believe. But, you know, that that's that's a poor way of getting out of this. It's like, man, you got to be part of the solution instead of just running from the problem. But it is a problem. He's absolutely right that we have to make this more of a big deal. And if we were to take more, and I'm not saying it needs to be a feast per se, but if we had more of a bread and everybody, consider Jesus in the upper room. You think they're all just breaking off a small little piece of the bread he's passed around? Man, they're ripping off a bit of the loaf and then they rip off another one. Imagine if each person had that. And it was it gave you time to really reflect, gave you time to think as you're eating multiple pieces of the bread, like let's talk about it. Let's talk about, man, I'm not in the place I need to be to really be partaking of this and to really feel like I have put the body and blood of Christ first this week. And okay, man, hey, Joe, how are we going to help you with that? And we made it that. That to me accomplishes the purpose of the Lord's Supper. So is that going to gain any traction? Probably not. Do I think that's more in line with what it should be? Yeah, I do. So I could be way off on that. But And, and the other thing is extending it. And I realize the irony of us trying to rush through the Lord's Supper point is we're talking about don't rush through the Lord's Supper. Um, <laughs> but 
truly, I do think we need to take more time. This is the central act of worship in my point. Or in, in, Four minutes uh, doesn't by, cut it, is your point. Yeah. Four minutes does not cut it. Just the, okay, just long enough to really start saying a prayer. And then, all right, they're walking toward the front. You hear the steps as they come toward the front. It's like, okay, I got to look up and prep for, for the next. Uh, no. Well, add no. to it the congregations that still aren't passing. It's just everybody already has their thing. They take it. Oh, oh yeah. That's that super horrible. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like it was yeah. 10 horrible. seconds. All right, let's say the next prayer. Uh, this is the problem yeah. with the opening prayer, order, closing prayer, all wrapped up in 45 minutes to an hour kind of thing. There's there's not room for uh, an enhanced Lord's Supper, an improved Lord's Supper. There's not room. You, As you said, the pew thing, I mean, there's not really a place... Uh, while things are the way they are, it's very hard to to change this. And so that's kind of where we're a little bit on the whole, like, expand the whole thing, really rethink things. And that's kind of where, like, this is these are big changes that people wouldn't be very comfortable with. It'd be very slow. But again, not not changes to like, oh, try and get away with something. Changes right. to be like, you know, how do we honor Jesus's sacrifice better? And yeah. right. And it starts with the Lord's Supper and it, it's. It really, I'm going to put it this way. If the way we do worship does not allow us to put more emphasis on the Lord's Supper, the thing that needs to give is not, oh, well, let's just keep putting less emphasis on the Lord's Supper. The thing that needs to give is the way we do worship. Yeah. Absolutely. That's a great way to put it. Great way to put it. Fetless, I think this brings us to contribution. Uh, we've already teased this one a little bit, so let's jump right in. Is it really an act of worship? We're taking this from um, 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2. talks about, hey, get, gra- gather your money, your collections, so that when I come, no collection may be made. Like, they're going to pass it all to Paul, seemingly, as he comes through. Um, of course, the historical context, he's asking a lot of churches, 2 Corinthians 8, 9, get more background on that. He's talking to a lot of churches about picking up this collection for the saints in Jerusalem. And on the first day of the week, when you're gathered, he says, take up a collection. Um we jumped to that one quite a bit. I believe Acts 16, 2. There's another one. No, uh, I had it wrong. Or, it okay, I was going to say. I wrote it when down you had wrong Acts 16, I'm like, yeah. it's like. Definitely not. I was going to have you take that one, Will, because I'm like, I don't recognize <laughs> Acts 16, Appreciate 2 it. as that text. But yes, 1 Corinthians 16. Um, so, fellas, is it an act of worship? Well, let me let me illustrate where this can really come into question and and. I guess debate you might say is with with churches that decide to give an online giving option. To me, if you give an online giving option, then you are kind of acknowledging it's not really an official. You have got to have an active worship because if I've got my direct deposit set up and it just goes in on on Saturday night or whenever you got it set up, how is that a part of the worship assembly like everything else that we've talked about is? And so that's where you know because I've heard both sides of the the coin on this. Both sides that sit, one side says. You know, I, I really think that we need to continue to pass the plate, that we shouldn't offer some kind of online giving because you need to go through the physical action of dropping the check in the plate or dropping the 20 in the plate. And I've heard the other side um, say, no, you know, as long as you're giving to the work of the church, as long as you're giving back to God, it's not an official act of worship. It, it's something that as long as you're, you're doing it, doesn't really matter what method it takes. I will reserve my judgment on, or I will reserve my opinion for what I, which side I tend to lean more towards before, and I'll open it up to you guys on that. But to me, that's where this debate comes out. If it's an act of worship and we fully believe that our worship is not complete unless that's in there, well, then what do we need to do? We need to take away all our online giving options and we need to continue to pass the plate. Um, the irony of it is, I know there were a lot of congregations during COVID that weren't passing the plate. So what were they doing? They said, Hey, drop your contribution check or your $20 bill in the plate as you come in or as you leave. 
Well, that's not really a part of it either. And so, guys, what do you what do you think on this? I, I, I said I'd reserve it. I do tend to agree more with those who say, you know, it's not really an act of worship as long as you're giving. You know, that's I, I would not have a problem online giving, I guess, is my point. But what do you guys have to add? It It's weird in that it, it's an act of worship in the priesthood sacrificial uh, like right. temple worship and but then in the temple they had the box i mean that's what with the widows might they're watching her walk up and give it and jesus talks about those that you know do the pomp and circumstance thing when they walk up to give and hey look at me they had the box there and and so when paul says that hey eat the first sunday set aside we don't know that it was passing plates separate and apart from the lord's supper that it wasn't just, <laughs> hey, we're Jew, you know, like that, that these were a lot of Jewish Christians that started all these churches that, hey, how we used to do it was a box in the back. So we're going to do that here. That the other thing being the purpose for this contribution was a limited thing. He said, so no collections be made when I come that I'm going to come and get this money that you've put together. That doesn't mean there was no they, they never gave again. But it does mean that the everything that we base all of our practices on was on a special event contribution. That's pretty weird in itself. And then you you look at the Old Testament thing, you know, the tithe and that they were supposed to give, but it it was not a you're supposed to give on the Day of Atonement, you know, when you come together or on on the Sabbath and when you go to the synagogue. Or, there, there's not a really established thing like that. I think our our contribution thing is much more of a broad giving as needed, giving, you know, having money set aside for the church, but also having money set aside for when you come across somebody in need or there's a mission work you believe in or you need to buy a Focus Plus subscription, you know, like there's there's these, uh, <laughs> sorry, nice. uh, shameless, very shameless. Uh, but any of these things that, that you can do with your money to support a mission work, to support somebody in need. You've even talked before about devoting a side of your budget to having Christians over to your home to feed them. Yeah, that's a part of giving to the church. I mean, yeah. you know, you're not dropping the money in the plate, but that's a part of giving. For sure. What does Jesus talk to about the Pharisees? Hey, you know, sorry, that's, I already gave my tithe. I don't have any money to help my parents. And he's like, what are you doing? What are you doing? I mean, right. was it Corbin? Uh, whatever he called it. And like, yeah, hey, that's, that that's already aside to, God. Aside to God. Like you're missing the point of giving. It is to help other people. Yes, we in the church, we have to support obviously the buildings and the, you know, the maintenance of the building and the preacher. And there's other things why you give to the congregation. We're not saying don't give to your church, but should it be an act of worship? I'm perfectly fine with you know, the box in the back as you're walking out, just doing that, because I don't think it should be in act. Is it worship in and of itself? It can be if you're calling that, but one of the five acts of worship, um, what's in my opinion, no. What's interesting is while, while all three of us sounds like are a little bit more loose, you might say on the fact that it's got to be done in the worship assembly. I am pretty strict uh, on every member of the church needs to be giving at least to some extent, maybe not every week, but you know, you see where it's, we kind of present it as optional, I don't fall in line with that. I do think if you're a baptized believer, if you're a member of the body, some part of your income, some part of your financial situation needs to be devoted to God. Um, you know, 2 Corinthians 9, we didn't bring up talking about God loves a cheerful giver. Those who doesn't don't give out of compulsion, God loves a cheerful giver. Um, so I do think that, again, I, I'm a little bit stricter on that as, as far as like say, every Christian should be giving it to, to some extent. I as they are prospered. I, I mean, those that are making money. Yeah, for sure. Correct, uh, you know, yeah. um, the other thing being just to, to drive our point home a little bit more is he establishes this in first Corinthians 16. That means they worshiped a lot of times before he did this and it counted yeah. it. You know, it wasn't right. hey, you guys haven't actually been worshiping because you haven't done the fifth act. It, like that's uh, it was we're going to introduce this because we need this thing for the saints in Jerusalem. And so 
I, I logically it really doesn't follow, but well, that's the I, word. I do the think command, tithing, this is command example necessary inference thing kind of falls apart again. Like, oh, we see it as an example here, so we got to do it. Well, again, we saw fasting as an example. We don't really do that, so that's that's where the we see a lot more examples of fasting than giving. So if we're right. going to go down that road, like I do think there's a lot more. The idea of the tithe, the ten percent, all of that. There's a reason we teach kids that, and I think we should. I'm not saying get away from I that. Agree. Giving to God, the giving of of the animals as you're bringing something to God. Um, David says, I'm not going to give anything to God. That which cost me nothing, right? Like the idea of giving something to God is biblical all the way back. So I do think giving should be a part. Do I think, again, we're talking corporate worship. Should it be part of it? Do I think it's part of the Christian life? No doubt. If you're not somebody who's giving, the cheerful giver part's out the window. You need to be looking for opportunities to give. You need to know people's struggles. You need to be in their lives. You need to support the work of the church, missionaries. So be giving, very cheerfully giving people. But what we're saying is just that, do I think, you know, do we think it should be as the part of the five X? So I just don't want people to misunderstand us. Go, you're saying we don't ever have to give it all. No, you should. To your point, Will. Like, absolutely. Right. Of course not. You should give. And I think the 10% is a general, generally good guideline. But yeah, maybe we should think about how we, how we do that. All right. So Any, we're up against the time crunch here. Let's separate go to apart the, from the contribution. Section, separate and apart from the There you go. <laughs> We want to talk about the the invitation again. This is not within the quote unquote the five acts of worship that we've kind of already talked about the fact that we don't really necessarily line up with. But the invitation, if we're examining all elements of our worship, the invitation, singing of the invitation song, extending the invitation in the sermon is a part of goodness, 99.8% of congregations all across the United States. Like we have implemented it as that is a mainstay in our worship assembly. So we failed in this episode. We got to examine that as well. Um I don't know who I want to turn the floor over to first. I'm going to start with Joe, actually. Um, oh, no, don't do that. I, I can't remember if this the is the invitation hater. Joe, I, we, got a, we got a hot take with Joe here. Joe is not a fan of the invitation. So, Joe, I would like for you to explain why and kind of your position. And then I don't know if we're going to necessarily cross-examine and we probably agree with him, but maybe we'll maybe we'll rein him back a little bit. But, Joe, go for Dude, it. I've ranted go so much it. on this episode. It's a bad idea. But it comes from the Mourner's Bench. This goes back to the 1800s. Uh, Mourner's Pew, Mourner's Bench, whatever you want to say. It is intended to be a very emotional response where you catch people at the heightened uh, at, at the height of their emotions, so as to get them to come forward. Uh, this is not in scripture. You'll never find it in scripture. The people in, with with Peter said, "What must we do to be saved?" You don't see Peter give an invitation. You don't see Paul. Nobody gives an invitation in scripture. That's something we added. Here's my problem with it: you are catching people at an emotional high. You just are, and so they come forward. How much do we follow up with them? How much does this actually change in their lives? Is this the way that you're supposed to address sin? Maybe public sin, potentially, maybe. But what I've, I'm not against ever offering the invitation. What I'm against is we always have to offer it. We always have to give the usually the five, um, five steps of salvation. So I'll be preaching on marriage, divorce, and remarriage and have to go, stop. Let me tell you about how to be saved. The assembly isn't for those who aren't saved. I'm sorry, it's not. Worship is for those who are already saved. Why am I pandering to, you know, and offering this to the non-Christians in the room? If they want to know about God, come talk to me after. Second off, why am I transitioning from a marriage, divorce, and remarriage sermon, which nobody really wants to preach that one. That just came to the top of my head. But why are we doing that and then having to transition and offer an invitation because, well, so-and-so is going to get upset if we don't. That makes no sense in that context. Well, if I'm giving a sermon on baptism, yeah, you bet I'll probably throw that in there for those that that you know are thinking about it. But it should it's, not it's be. Not, hang on, I, I think you need to address you know, like steel man. It, they don't say, "Well, somebody's going to get upset if you don't." They're going to get upset because they say 
this might be the only chance someone has to hear right. the gospel. Yep. And it's like, well, that's the problem we in itself. Together, we have to extend it is what they'll say. Right. Because, because it might yep. be there. There might be a visitor where this is their only chance. Like, well, then that's a downfall on us outside of this. If there's somebody in yep. our building who we don't know who they are, we don't know their status before God, go talk to them. The, that is right. not the job of the sermon, which is not for them to be turned into a thing for them. And the other thing is like, how many people went, oh, well, I didn't know that's what I was supposed to do. I guess I'll get up and go do it. Not a lot. Okay. But if you went and talked right. to them afterwards and said, hey, what brought you in today? Who are you? What's what's your status? Can we have a Bible study? I mean, like the, the X, yeah, X2 got three, three, 3,000 people who had a lot of context and knew what they were doing. And as you said, it wasn't an invitation. Well, I was going to say, furthermore, think about, and I understand that if you're if you're not going forward simply because you're worried about what other people are going to think of you, you probably have a heart issue. However, consider congregations of 350 where your remedy for confessing your sins to one another is walking down the middle aisle where 350 sets of eyes are staring at you walking down going, man, I wonder what that person did. Man, I wonder what kind of addiction that person slipped into. And, you know, you just feel everybody staring at you as you're walking down. It's just not conducive. What I was my main, I guess, point with this is. It severely inhibits the confessing your sins to one another because everybody's mindset goes to, well, the invitation is when we're supposed to do that. And if I don't go forward then, well, I guess I just have to wait until next time we send the invitation. And it, even though nobody says that, that's the perspective that it gives is that, they, okay, this is now the time where if you've got something you need to confess, if you've got an issue, if you need to be baptized, come forward. If you don't, cool, we're done. Wait till next time. Again, nobody says that, but that's the attitude that we give. And this this mindset, this concept of bearing each other's burdens and sharing our burdens and confessing our sins one to another, we don't do that. Well, I wonder why we don't do that. It's because we've isolated this concept down to a 90-second song, first and last verse of invitation song, where this is your time where you can, again, walk down the aisle with everybody staring at you, you know, wondering what you did. If you don't do that, that's your only option. That's what we've turned it into, and that's where I think it's a major problem. I want to give a shout out to a... uh, Trey at um, Beltline Indicator. Will uh, knows Trey, Trey well. Yep. Yeah, Trey Durden. Um, they've got uh, the best version of the invitation I've heard. They've got a room, and I think they call it the next step room. And so it's not come down front. It's look, if there's anything you need, and they've got signs in the hallway, and they've got elders, they've got staff, like trained people that know what questions to ask, what answers. And not only that, they a lot of the visitors they bring in are people they've contacted and people that they've like done the legwork on. And then if they want to respond, it's all right, come to this room. Let's sit and have a discussion. The The people have been trained on, again, that that kind of program to take them through of where are you in your walk with God? What do you need? That's amazing. Uh, whether it's a physical need, whether it's a, a spiritual confessional need, whether it's the gospel like salvation that they need and work them through those things. And sometimes it's people coming forward for, you know, it's a it's a big congregation. A lot of people coming in for benevolence. They take that and they can they'll have a way that they can help them in a limited way. But then also we're going to follow up with you. We've got like it's it is not just somebody walked up, said, I got this problem. Everybody said, all right, well, let's say a prayer for him. And that's the end of it. Like you have to do it if you're going to do it. And so I I do want to say that's the best version of it I have seen. That is amazing. Uh, If you're going to do it, I think that's how you do it. Once again, they put a little thought into it. That's what I love. They put a little thought into how would if we're going to use it, how would we maximize this? How would we make it the most effective it can be? And and I think that's a brilliant solution. I think it can be a crutch that instead of having to go to your brother one-on-one, you can just go forward and, and confess everybody and when you confess everybody, you confess to nobody confess something. type of thing. Right. Exactly. When it's when everybody's super, nobody will be, right? When everybody's confessed to, nobody's really confessed to. So you never really have the one-on-one. I got to look you in the eyes and go, 
brother, I stumbled with pornography this week and I'm really struggling. That's different than you go one time in five years forward and because man, I'll pray for you. And three years down the line, nobody remember that you went forward or maybe a couple of people do. The one-on-one relationships are what pull us out of sin. The one-on-one relationships are what that's all about. I think it robs us of that. However, something like that is a separate room where they can engage in the relationship. Two thumbs up, man. That's fantastic. Good for you, Trey. I agree. Thank you. I've got, I, I think that's a, I mean, we've we've covered a gauntlet here in this episode. Um, I do. I, I got two things I want to say to kind of wrap, and then if you guys have any closing comments, the first thing is I'm going to make the executive decision for the group think question uh, that we're going to put out on social media. What is the suggestion you have to improve uh, to improve our worship? Um, again, take any of the categories that that we have discussed as those who listen are deep thinkers. Um, and again, specifically those who are going to be listening through Focus Plus and can have access to the deep end or our extended segment where we can address comments directly, address questions directly. Man, let us know. Give us 10 to 12 to discuss in this in this week's deep end of here are suggestions you would make. Because we know, again, we're not the experts. We are not the, the, we've got all the solutions and everybody else needs to listen to us type of people. These are just things that we've thought of that we think you know, as we examine each one of these, these are things that would improve. And so I do, I do challenge everybody who's listening to this. Think of ways that things that you would suggest as far as ways to improve worship and let us know, comment on Facebook again, focus plus subscribers comment on, on this video. The second thing I was going to say, I do find it incredibly ironic that Jack is talking about, you know, he, he thinks that we should dress up for worship. And then here we are filming this podcast for those of you who are watching and me and Joe were clearly dressed up. I'm in a polo, Joe's in a button up and Jack's wearing a t-shirt. So I'm sorry. was this worship. That's so ironic. Well, I've got to tell you, we didn't do the five acts, so it's just not. (laughs) Uh, i will take up a collection though guys if you want (laughs) i'll take up a collection for myself all right well do we need any guide guidance guardianship or directed yeah it'll be guide garden directed as we get out of here anything else no all right and then bring us back in the next appointed time (laughs) (laughs) next week